I really do feel like self-knowing is one of the kindest things you can do in relationship with others, with yourself, with justice, with the work we're working towards revolution in community. Perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And we always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly. I feel like today's guest needs no introduction, but in case you're not familiar with Rachel Cargill's work, I want to get you started today. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. You are a public academic, a writer, a lecturer, not to mention entrepreneur and philanthropist born in Akron, Ohio. Um, Rachel's work and upcoming book centers the reimagining of womanhood, solidarity and self, and how we are in a relationship with ourselves and one another. In 2018, she founded the Loveland Foundation, a nonprofit which has provided therapy support to over 10,000 Black women, girls, and gender non-binary individuals. And she has also led an umbrella company of the Loveland Group, which houses a collection of social ventures, including The Great Unlearn, The Great Unlearn for Young Learners, and Elizabeth's Bookshop and Writing Center. You might know Rachel's work from being a regular contributor to Cultured Magazine, Atmos Magazine, and The Cut, and has been featured in The Washington Post, The New York Times, Forbes, Harper's Bazaar, The New Yorker, and most recently, Time Magazine. Right, Rachel? I just saw that yesterday. Yeah, just today. So exciting. (laughs) So in addition to her TED Talk stage, her appearance on Red Table Talk, and her public lecture, Unpacking White Feminism, which has been featured on campuses around the country, including American University, Yale, and Harvard, which I myself was one of the many white feminists who virtually attended in June 2020, I'm sure along with a monthly column on harpersbazaar.com. Her work has been featured on the Washington Post, Glamour Magazine, Pop Sugar, Afropunk, Essence, Huffington Post, and Refinery29. Is there a single place you haven't been featured? <laughs> I'm giggling so much at you getting the long version of my bio. Thank you. Taking the time to read through that. Wow, wow. Thank you for having me. Listeners need to understand. <laughs> your vast amazingness. So I'm so excited that you're here today to talk about your new book, The Renaissance of Our Own. But before we jump into that, is there anything I didn't cover? Anything you want to share about yourself? You covered more than I have ever covered. So I'm passionately going through that bio. You reminded me of some things. You took me back down memory lane in some ways. Thank you for reading through that. I liked that walk through some of the things I've had the wonderful opportunity to do. Thank you. Love it. So while I have not been able to finish Renaissance of Our Own, I do want to say I have guests on who have written books and I don't spend an entire day staying up until 1 a.m. reading their books before they're on the show. 
what I have read so far has really resonated deeply with me. And you eloquently put into words what so many of us are feeling right now, coming into a renaissance, as you so aptly call it. And what I love is that you pair it with actionable steps to bring about meaningful change in all of our own lives. Can you share more about what brought you to encouraging readers to claim, to reclaim their lives with a new set of values? I really love that foundation that you start with for reframing, created for and by themselves in their everyday lives. Yeah. You know, I think that this book is, it's an opportunity for me to share my story and invite others to consider what their story looks like too. This book, I keep saying this book doesn't have many answers, but you'll walk away with all the questions that that we need to ask ourselves to be able to be more introspective, to be able to be more self-knowing. And when we have that introspection, and when we have that self-knowing, we're able to move through the world with a lot more ease and conviction, knowing ourselves and knowing that we're doing the things that align with our values. This book came from me recognizing that, you know, we're on this life escalator that kind of puts us on at birth and pulls us up through all of these stages, this one path of, you know, graduation, a job, marriage, a kid working through the corporate ladder, retirement, and it pulls you and it's hard. The higher you go, the harder it is to get off. And, you know, I think with the renaissance of our own, I'm looking to invite people to join me and getting off of that life escalator and building out a staircase, something beautiful, something colorful, something that speaks to what we know about ourselves. Because oftentimes, we can be caught running a race to a finish line we don't even actually want, a prize we don't even actually want. And I really started to consider that over my life. You know, what are these milestones I'm running towards? What are these things I feel like I'm on, I'm on the fast track or racing towards that don't even really apply to what I want? What do I understand success to be? What do I understand family to be? And if success isn't a bigger house and another car in a fancier place, then I can get off of this path and actually walk with ease and with some leisure and with some self-knowingness towards what I am interested in. And I hope that's what the book invites people to do. It definitely invited me to do it. I found that I like immediately went into the writing prompts and the different kind of things. So I want to say also it's not just your story because it is a memoir it's also really inviting readers to take those moments that time that you're talking about with the book to also determine why they want to get off the escalator i think that's the thing that was different for me when i was reading it was like yeah i say all the time i left corporate america i did these things i'm realigning to the things that matter to me and instead, this really invited me to think through what do I really value and do the things that I'm stepping off the escalator for, so to speak, align to those values. And it also allowed me to, like one of my values ended up being meaningful work. And it gave me space to say, I do enjoy working. Like, this is a thing that I enjoy doing. The thing that I want to do before is meaningful work. And then I can look at everything that I'm doing and say, does that align to 
the work being meaningful in some way for myself, for others, for community, whatever it might be. I really love that insight from you because that's exactly the space that I hope people come to. And it's really beautiful and soft when we get to that space. I love this reality of you're saying, I actually want to do work. I want to be busy. I want to be busy doing meaningful things. And that's very different than what a lot of perhaps girl boss culture or all of these other spaces that ins or even the, the conversation right now about rest and soft life insisting that it not be something that we might have interest in and being able to say you know what work is something meaningful to me it's something that I like to do how I like to use my body and my energy or my thoughts and you know I talk a lot in the book about being able to take the meat and throughout the bones with anything that we read with any of the approaches we take to growing ourselves or healing ourselves. And I think this book is a really wonderful opportunity for people to come to the pages with some agency and say, let me see what Rachel has to say that applies to me. And let me throw out the bones of what doesn't and really pick what's in alignment with my part of the journey. And I'm excited to engage with my readers about that point. I love it. And I think what was another kind of special moment as a reader was the idea that you were really upfront in the book about the book being different than you had imagined, that you kind of had this reframework as you were writing, needing to reimagine the very book that you were writing while you were writing it. Can you talk more about the process and if in and of itself it informed writing that realization? Well, that realization informs my work. Like I, I really feel like my work is to think out loud, feel out loud, heal out loud, to look into these industries, these spaces, these understandings of ourselves and say, be curious, say, what could be different? How could this look new? How could this look more true to what we know, you know, is needed right now? And as I was writing the book, you know, this book really started as an anti-racism book, which is what my work has mostly centered around, doing anti-racism work. When I signed the contract, it was an anti-racism work. And writing that book would have been untrue if I, if I didn't take into consideration the ways I was act actively shape-shifting and growing and moving in the process of writing it. And one of the things that came that like I downloaded as a understanding of myself was that doing such intensive, heavy anti-racism work was weathering me. It was weathering my body. It was weathering my mind. And it was necessary for me to reimagine how I could do the work that I'm doing, the work that I love, the work that's important to me in a new container, in a new shape that would serve not only the people that I most am committed to serving, which as you read the book, you will see that it is certainly Black women. I am a Black woman. And my friend often reminds me, like, Rachel, you too are a Black woman. You too are someone you're fighting for. And I had to be honest about that. I had to be true to the way that, you know, I too deserve the rest and the ease and the wellness that I'm insisting that I'm fighting for for other people. And it was an opportunity for me to have a renaissance of my own, for me to decide that the way I show up in this work will not be centered in these things that often weather me, that exhaust me, but the same exact work the same exact materials of the work, of the revolution, of the liberation, of the learning can exist in different ways. And so going through the book, writing through my own 
lessons, my own falls, my own, you know, ways I've had to flip and turn in order to live in the world, show up not just in the stories, but on, on the pages as I was writing it. I am, you know, I am new, I am new, I am new every time. And I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to infuse that real time renaissance onto the pages. I wonder how, so you said that your contract was signed to be an anti-racist book. I'm wondering, assuming a timeline, so to speak, how the Great Awakening, I think it's being called, the work that happened in 2020, how did that affect your general work? And I mean, it sounds like it led to a book contract, which we all been just great, but I know was part of this incredibly difficult, like painful process that you and everybody had to go through as white women came flooding for education as you're grieving and doing all these things. Like, I'm wondering how it impacted you and your work. You know, I actually signed this contract in 2018. So I bought this contract before all of that happened. And exactly what I was speaking to, that in writing the book, in writing an anti-racism book, that I began to write before we had that, you know, huge ebb in that that huge crescendo in anti-racism education and in the interest in anti-racism, in the white women looking to learn. I was working. I was actively doing the work I was doing anyways. I was educating. I was teaching. I was offering language. I was engaging conversation while writing my book about the same exact things. And I burned out. I burned out in 2020 doing that work. And I told them if they, you know, if I was to finish a book, it could not be centered in this thing that was tearing me apart at the moment. It could not be centered in this thing that was giving me the most grief at that moment. And so signing that book contract going into 2020 and having to set it down for a second to do the very urgent work that was happening in 2020 led me to in that moment say, I have to be well, I have to be new because this is burning me out. And it was in 2020 that I actually decided it wasn't going to be an anti-racism book because I wasn't wasn't going to be completely depleting myself. And I also wasn't, you know, my, my writing and my craft has more use than fighting against racism. And so I wanted to be able to have a piece of work that wasn't just rooted in that thing that had been completely dissolving me over the last several years. This podcast is sponsored by Care Of, finally a collagen brand I can point you to that's tested for safety with a discount code. For years, I felt the efficacy of collagen on my health, but not all brands are what they seem. I am always skeptical of supplement brands because of what I know about the lack of regulation in the industry. I was excited to find Care Of committed to quality and sustainability. And best of all, their products are tested three times throughout their supply chain in the United States. This ensures products meet exacting specifications and that they're safe. Health is deeply human and it has to be personal. So Care Of is there to help you find what works for you. They're taking care of you. I couldn't help myself with that pun. But seriously, Care Of thoughtfully curates products, not tons and tons of things you don't really want or need, 
all formulated with care. They create products that are as effective for your body as possible, based on a foundation of scientific research and then using forms of each individual nutrient that are easiest for the body to digest and absorb. And what makes them especially unique is their starting online quiz about your lifestyle and health goals. I am so impressed that the personalized Dr. Back recommendation came back focused on brain health for me and not a bunch of stuff I didn't need. I'm currently taking their focus blend with methylated B12 as needed. I love that you take this before you actually need to focus as well as their collagen for my morning smoothies. And Care Of makes taking their vitamins on the go so convenient with daily packs shipped right to your door. No more sorting and prepping pills yourself. For 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code WHOLEVIEW50. That's T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F.com with code WHOLEVIEW50 for half off. This podcast is sponsored by Indeed, the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. I have personally used Indeed with great success and where I made sure Cole used when searching for his first job. They streamline hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. And candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to US Indeed data. Instant Match makes it so simple for employers and candidates alike. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you'll get a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash WholeView. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash WholeView. Indeed.com slash WholeView. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think that's a really eloquent way to describe your work as being more than that. And I think your memoir does an excellent job in being more than that. And also in leading by example to this life ease that you talk about. Ease is one of your values and you've mentioned it. I think it starts in your introduction of your memoir when you talk about your own awakening of the realization that feminism, which was your passion at that time, was rooted in many values and ideologies that upon reflection, you didn't want to participate with or in or align with. Can you share more? Yeah. So my own awakening about this intersection of race and womanhood came in, I, I, I was really called out. I was called out by the Black community and they were asking me, insisting that I take, that I have some curiosity around the truth of the feminist movement, around their own very real visceral feelings that the feminist movement 
what did not have space for Black women. And as someone who was fairly new to feminism and very excited about feminism, I was taken aback that this thing that I was so excited about and so invested in might have some like murkiness to it that just, you know, floored me. And I took that calling out as an opportunity for me to learn. And that's really where my career in this space started was just me learning out loud, me trying to look for truths and understanding outside of every whitewashed history of feminism I'd ever seen or heard all came from the perspectives of white people, the perspectives of white experiences, which is such a narrow, a narrow slice of the truth. And having the opportunity to be jolted and, you know, shaken into a space of learning, shaken into a space of reimagining everything I understood about not only racism, I mean, not only feminism, but then having this woven in understanding of what it means to be a Black woman in particular really, you know, opened the floodgates for me to be even more curious about what the truth was and to find even more opportunities to learn out loud along those along with those who were reading my work or learning from me and every you know the things that i was finding the ways that the quote unquote founding mothers of feminism were saying racist things like if you give women the right to vote you know we that will support white supremacy not diminish it recognizing that they knew the power of white supremacy and they knew that if they teased to that with their husband, if they teased to that with the men, that would be an in for them. This choosing whiteness over womanhood within the feminism they claimed was was geared towards liberation of all women. And it just simply wasn't. And so when I started to learn that and when I started to understand that, it really made me get critical about what my feminism looked like, what the feminism of those around me looked like. And it's really just been a powerful, moving journey of uncovering the truth, having this like radical, radical anger <laughs> towards injustice that I've seen within the movement. And it's, yeah, it's been such a like gnarly place to exist in, such as a place of kind of, conflict and hard conversations, really hard conversations. Yeah. Well, I will say you have those hard conversations with such grace. I think ease is a word that you've chosen for yourself. I myself see you and your work as being very compassionate and filled with grace when you're approaching some of these things. It is not an easy thing for either of us. I have a minor in women's studies. I am 100% responsible and guilty for being that white feminist before the Great Awakening or whatever we're going to call what happened in 2020. And of course, I myself thought like, well, I'm an advocate. I'm an advocate for everybody, but not owning and being accountable for the true depth of what was rooted in our history and what just continuing along that path instead of questioning that or being curious path as you call it needed to kind of take a step off of that path and say I still want to go in that direction but I'm not participating on this path anymore we're going to forge a new together 
And if it weren't for the very difficult and graceful work of yourself and others like you, it couldn't have happened. And it was unreasonable to ask that of you in that moment as you were experiencing it. And so it's that grace is why I think where we are as a society, we are today. I have a trans non-binary child. I have an LGBTQ child, like a another child as well and my understanding of participating in fighting for their rights i didn't get married until the federal law was changed for everybody because i was like if everybody can't get married then i don't want to get married like i i fought for a very long time that i was participating in that positive direction but it really took a lot to get me off a path that i thought i understood and if I couldn't have heard it if it hadn't been for the gracefulness and the challenges also of people in the community. Like you were challenged in your memoir. I was also challenged, right? Like I was challenged with my white fragility. I was challenged in all those ways and it woke me up in a very good way. And so I know that was not the appropriate thing to ask of you. And I also just want to thank on behalf of the society who is along that path with me, thank you for the energy that you turned into it and into your work, not just in the book, but also, you know, the work that you do online and in social to educate because it's my responsibility at this point to bring that forward. And I was reading your book with my husband in bed last night and I got to the feminism chapter and knowing what I know, like, I still know those things. I was like, I went like five or six pages past the quotes about white supremacy being rooted in feminism and some of the, I love the, I think you called it the 18th century tweet, like the, it was the equivalent of 18th century tweets or whatever it was that you said. And I had read it and I moved past and I came back and I was like, man, I have to read this out loud to you because it's still like bothering me. I mean, it's still bothering me. To know that, as you said, there there were people who openly said, you know, I'm going to lean into the idea that this is going to support white supremacy with my spouse, my partner, to get my own rights and votes. Even though Black men had the right to vote, women were fighting for the right to vote and not bringing along Black women and not just not bringing them along, but really like throwing them under the bus. It's, it's hard to kind of sit with and that hard work couldn't have happened without your grace, your education and all the things that you did to kind of bring us along. So I want to thank you for that, knowing full well that it's, it wasn't okay for us to ask that of you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. So I want to talk about this values situation in your book. I told you I did my writing prompts. I came up with my values. And I'm wondering if you can share before we kind of ask listeners to do some participation in, because I always like to leave listeners with something positive and actionable. If you can explain a little bit about it and maybe share your own and how you came to determine them. Yeah. It's one of my favorite parts of my work. It's one of my favorite parts of the book, this conversation on highest values, which the way that I've really been framing it, the language I've been using is that our highest values are 
you know, they're kind of conduits to our chosen selves. I, I'm not a huge fan anymore of the term best self because best still denotes something could be bad. And it really, I'm much more seduced by the language of our chosen selves, that thing we choose to be. And maybe it's my own childhood trauma around autonomy, my own Sagittarius spirit, my own, (laughs) you know, all of these things, my own avoidant attachment style, all of these things that might speak to why I find so much value in the language of chosen self. But I'm very seduced by sovereignty. I'm very seduced by this groundedness and knowingness because I really do feel like self-knowing is one of the kindest things you can do in relationship with others, with yourself, with justice, with the work we're working towards revolution in community. Knowing yourself is really a gift, that certainty and that assuredness I, I find to be kind. And so with these values being conduits to us getting to our chosen selves, finding our highest values helps to to form that. And one of one of the things that I find really special about taking the time to figure out our highest values is that it's really all rooted in memory and dreaming. It's all rooted in remembering the things that moved us as children, remember the thing, remembering the things that gave us joy, pondering on the things that constantly are on our mind, even maybe remembering some of our childhood traumas and figuring out how we can tend to that wound over the course of our lifetime. So it's the remembering of who we are And then also the dreaming and saying, what type of life would I like to live? How do I want to feel in the day to day? What landscape do I want to live on, both metaphorically and physically? And marrying those two materials to say, oh, here's what it boils down to. Here are the three things, the four things, the one thing, depending on, you know, what you find. What are the common denominators that show up in everything we love about our memory, everything we love and know about our memory, everything we are dreaming and hoping for. How do those two materials come together? And my highest values end up being ease, abundance, and opportunity. When I speak of ease, I don't mean easy. I don't mean the simplest thing. I mean the thing that feels softest to my soul, the thing that feels softest to my body, the thing that feels kindest to myself, that ease. Abundance is, you know, stepping out of any ideas of scarcity. Abundance means finding ways to pour into community, having my cup run over for the sake of service. And opportunity, even though opportunity is shifting a little bit for me, I've had a lot of opportunity and so I'm ready to pour into a few other things. And right now for me, it's looking like a lot of nourishment. But in the book, I talk about opportunity and how much that meant for me to have opportunities myself and offer it to others. And the really powerful thing about doing going through the process of finding your highest values is that it gives you clear answers. It solidifies my yeses and it solidifies my noes. It makes my noes easier and it solidifies my yeses in a way that, you know, if the spaces where I maybe used to grapple or feel stressed or frustrated be out of indecision, it's much easier with my higher highest values because I can say, Does this bring me ease, abundance, or opportunity? These three things that I know are at the core of every way I want to exist in the world. If the answer is no, then the answer is no. And I don't have to feel guilty about it. I don't have to wonder if I made the right decision. 
I don't have to compare and contrast. And it really helps with that comparing and contrasting. And it's especially, you know, having this book come out, it is impossible for me not to compare myself to everyone else who has a book coming out soon. So I'm looking and I'm like, well, what media did they get? And what creative ideas did they have? And one of the biggest tools to combat that feeling is, oh, that thing that they're doing, I actually wouldn't even want to do it because it's really not fitting into any of my values. So instead of feeling a way about why I didn't do it or how I could have done it, I can just be happy for them that they are in their lane and they are using their values to do the thing that they want to do. And so it, highest values are, like I said, that conduit to our chosen self, but it's also just a really good tool to pick up when we're feeling those hard feelings. This podcast is brought to you by Nom Nom Dog Food, which my dogs have been using and loving for months. Y'all, I pay for my subscription with my own money because truly the dogs have never been happier or healthier with their food. Their paws no longer smell like Frito pie, which honestly I didn't even think was possible. Even my mom switched for her aging pup. I loved seeing it in her fridge when we visited, knowing her dog was getting the health benefits too. Nom Nom uses the latest science and insights to make real, nourishing food for dogs. Penny and Gus are obsessed, which feels like such a gift considering how difficult it was to get Penny to eat anything for so long. And I love knowing that not only is it good for her, but it's costing us less money too. Our prior freeze-dried food was $7.50 a meal, which I did not ever realize until I did the math. Big mistake. And we still had to put human food on it to get her to eat. Nom Nom's low inflammatory food is nutrient-packed and made fresh, shipped to my door free for only $2.40 a meal, all cooked in company-owned kitchens in the USA. Nom Nom has crafted an easy tool with board-certified veterinary nutritionists to ensure the exact right food and portions for your pooch. Made with real whole food, you can see and recognize without any additives or fillers that contribute to irritation, bloating, and low energy. If your dog has sensitivities like ours, their pet microbiome database helps create better recipes for every breed, size, and digestive sensitivity. Our dog's coats are shiny and healthy without itching skin or paws, and both dogs are at their perfect weight, according to our very impressed vet. Why not try it? Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynom.com slash wholeview, spelled trynom.com slash wholeview for 50% off. Trynom.com slash wholeview. Did you know many of the beauty products marketed to women of color contain higher levels of toxic chemicals that can contribute to cancer and reproductive harm? The Eurocentric idea of beauty reinforces structural racism, so it's up to us to define what beauty means, inside and out. Not to mention how natural beauty comes from within when we have the confidence to be our own authentic self. When we choose to use a product for our own expression, I've got two ways we can do something about it. One, ask your representative to support legislation that protects all communities so that even those without access to switching to safer can reduce their toxic load. Text Raise Up Beauty to 52886 in the US to make your voice heard. And two, check your own products using the EWG app to scan the safety of what you're currently using. Or if you're not sure where to start with switching to safer, I recommend starting with the highest toxic load. 
things you breathe, like sprays and powders, and things you use the most often on the largest part of your body, like body wash or lotion. And then just replace items as you use them up. The question I get most often, but does it work? Well, if it's good enough for Mandy Moore, Giselle Bunchen, and Naomi Watts, it works for me. Maximize savings by using the welcome code at beautycounter.com slash Toth. Use clean for all 20 for 20% off using an email that's never ordered before. Already a fan? Add on our VIP perks program, Banda Beauty, for a free welcome gift valued at $65. Our awesome Glow First Priming Serum, there is nothing else like it on the market, plus $10 off, 10% credit back, and free shipping on orders over $75. Need help? Email me, stacy at realeverything.com if you want help. And go to beautycounter.com slash stacytoth, just like any other website. Choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H, and use code CLEAN for all 20 for 20% off at beautycounter.com slash stacytoth. I appreciate so much of what you just said and found in the moment where you mentioned using it as a potential to heal your childhood self as a click for me on my third value, which I was really struggling with. Like I told you meaningful work matters for me. And I bundle a lot of things in there. Like I'm an Enneagram eight justice is huge for me. And so I didn't use justice as a value because I find that that's the work that I do. Like for me, I think of fighting for justice, uh, fighting for my foster kiddos rights, for fighting for other people as part of my meaningful work. Someone else might not describe that as work, but for me, my values, I do. And I also just realized that I had chosen knowledge as my third, but because I love to educate on the work that I'm doing and to bring people along. But I realized now, like, no, that's part of the meaningful work for me. Really, the other one that I wanted to add was compassion. And I just kept like coming back and being like, well, there isn't space for compassion. And as you were talking, it made me realize, no, compassion is the thing I need to make space for. Like, that's the thing that I'm not making space for that I really need to have the perspective that you had about aligning to where I want to go and also having compassion for that childhood uh, person of mine that wanted and needed some of compassion that I didn't feel like I got when I needed it. And so now that is really something that is a core value that I want to bring more of into my life. So I appreciate your explanation the way that you gave it and how you've incorporated it into your life and how we can continue to do that ourselves because even as you did after having re- read the book I was still like oh I don't know about this and it's also just last night but working through that I think is really important and something that I encourage our listeners to think about and bring in and your book a renaissance of their own will kind of explain and pull them into that self-reflection so that they can think about their own lives past and future from that perspective. I'm wondering if you have other actionable ways to bring readers along on this journey with you and specific to 
your book, your work, and, and all the different things that you have going on. We talked at the beginning about the Loveland Foundation and your full philanthropic work. I always have such a hard time with that word. I'd love to hear more on on all of as well. Yeah, so the Loveland Foundation, it came out in, in 2018. It was something that was formed after I had an experience in therapy as an adult for the first time, really having a bit of a breakthrough moment. And I was really moved to figure out ways to get as many Black women into therapy as I could possibly do. And I started to, at the time in 2018, I probably had 10,000 followers or so. And I was able to raise $10,000 in the first 24 hours. And it really clicked in the community of what this work could be and how we could do it as a community. And it's grown so much over the years. And we've been able to do a lot of really powerful work, you know, to offer tens of thousands of hours of therapy to tens of thousands of Black women and girls across the country and to put this money into the pockets of tens of thousands of Black therapists who often, probably not tens of thousands of Black therapists, but thousands of Black therapists who have the opportunity to do this really meaningful work in the world. And I'm really grateful for the way that the foundation has kind of sprawled out into this landscape of its own, of reducing the stigma around mental health, of supporting Black women and girls to get access to healing because we know when women heal, it, it ripples out into the homes, into the communities and the neighborhoods and the organizations. And it's really powerful work that the team there is doing. And I feel very grateful to have seated and get to continue to support what's happening at the foundation. Are you familiar with Rachel Rogers' work? Yes, Rachel's a very good friend of mine. <laughs> that. She, in her book, which I read last month, was part of like a book club that I'm in, like a business book club. She talks about the power that women have. I think I have the statistic in front of me, but it was a very high percentage that women give back to the community when they are successful versus when men do. And I know we're using a lot of like men and women in the show and we're just a kind of disclaimer for listeners obviously we're not assuming that all are either men or women from binary and when we look at statistics and things like that it use those kinds of binaries so it was a powerful awakening for me in that moment because I myself am a leader of other of a large group of women and to think of like other women that I know and how they choose to give back to community when they have access to do so, whether it's with money or time or whatever, versus like when our male partners have time and how they choose to spend that time. So I love that the Loveland Foundation, as you said, is not only giving to help heal and bring those needing it forward, but also lifting up a community of therapists who otherwise wouldn't maybe have work and how both of those people can then go pay it forward like the impact and the ripple that has is such a good model for how we can all find ways to incorporate those kinds of passions in our lives and 
I know that's not your only charity, though. Can you talk a little bit about the other Loveland kind of groups that you have? They might not be nonprofit, but you also hold space for other things in your life. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah. So the Loveland group is the family of comp- of social companies that I have. And the Elizabeth's Bookshop and Writing Center, it's a bookstore in my hometown of Akron, Ohio, up in Northeast Ohio. And I started that bookstore in 2020. And we, you know, what makes our bookstore different than any others is we have no white cis men on our shelves. We feel like we've heard enough from them. And we're excited to center and celebrate more marginalized voices, people of color, people with disability, indigenous people, people who are immigrants, people who, for whom English is not their first language, being able to celebrate and learn from voices that have such a wealth of knowledge and information for us to weave into our understanding of the world, to give us a clearer picture, to give us a deeper connection to the earth to each other. And it's been a really wonderful, a a really wonderful space. And it's called Elizabeth. Elizabeth is my middle name. I used to beg my mom to call me Elizabeth when I was a child. And so this bookstore is really a gift to my younger self to represent that relationship that I continue to have with my younger self and offering that, you know, avid reader a space that I didn't have when I was a child. And I also have The Great Unlearn. And The Great Unlearn is just a really special space of people who are curious, people who are interested in learning from from voices that are not usually centered. We are a self-paced and donation-based learning platform online. And we offer a monthly syllabus that covers really fascinating topics that let us understand the world and ourselves better. We have talked about everything from the history of Black cowboys in Western America to indigenous fire knowledge and how it affects the California fires and the necessity to honor indigenous knowledge. We really just dive into topics that move us with a lens that really informs the whole of the situation, the truth of the situation from those who are most involved and most affected. And it's been a really wonderful opportunity to engage in just critical, you know, I miss being in school. I miss being in the classroom. I miss debating and hearing others' opinions. And so The Great Unlearn is a space that I created for those who are autodidactic, for those who are curious, for those who still want to learn and grow and understand. And it's donation-based. So whatever you can give to be a part of the community is really special to us. And it's been a really wonderful opportunity to build out a, a family of companies that are invested in our collective learning and healing and curiosity. And you also have one for young people as well, which I think is fantastic. I myself, four young people, one of whom has only been in my house for two years. And I think it's interesting to help them kind of learn and come along and sharing history through through a different sort of lens than it was taught to us. And so I that you're providing a space for young people to learn and to have access to that as well. So before we go, I always like to leave listeners with some positive, actionable suggestions that they can take to be of service to work on themselves or their community. I'd love to hear your ideas. I think we talked about some of them that you present in Renaissance of Their Own. But do you have any others you want to share before we 
we part ways. Yeah. One of the exercises in the book and that you can do in, in many spaces is really just to meditate on your future self, to be in relationship with your future self, to get to know them, to ask them questions, to sit quietly with them and see what answers they might offer. I think it is such a powerful tool to be in relationship with a version of yourself that might be able to give you direction, giving you a calibration that isn't outside of you, that isn't rooted in something outside of you. And so building that relationship with your future self, meditating on that is definitely absolutely worthy of time. I love it. I appreciate your time and your perspective with today's show. And we'll put a link in the show notes listeners for you to find a renaissance of their own. I want to encourage you to check your local booksellers. And Rachel is not only doing a virtual book event, but also physically coming. I myself have tickets to your Washington, D.C. book signing. So I want to encourage listeners to find your book locally if possible, but I'm assuming it's in all bookstores available everywhere. Yeah, it said all bookstores. It's a renaissance of our own. I think you said there a few times. Oh, sorry. Thank you for correcting me. And yeah, all booksellers. And if you'd like to buy it online from my own bookstore, you can get the link from my page as well and we can send it over to you. Are those, is there any special like signed or anything if somebody wants to gift? Uh, yeah, the book, the, any books purchased from my bookstore is a signed copy. Wonderful. Good to know. And we'll make sure that we put links in the show notes for people to find those easily, but you can also find them through rachelcargold.com or I'm sure it's in the links in your bio on social media and all the places. So listeners, thank you so much for being here today. We appreciate your willingness to be open to growth and through your own personal changes. Knowing it is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning can become better versions of ourselves, which now I'm going to rethink. I say that every week and your perspective on better or best version of ourselves being kind of led in perfectionist tendencies is something I'm going to, I'm going to take away from this conversation. So thank you for that, Rachel. Thank you. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.